for help on Church Street Saturday night. Brother Riley's out of town. He normally heads up that work, but it's uh, Saturday night before Halloween, and it gets pretty wild down there. And the fewer there are in our group, the more emboldened their group is. So if you can help out, the van rolls out at 8 o'clock on Saturday night to go down to Church Street. Downtown tomorrow, uh, need a good crew down there at 5. We need a few people to be there at 4.30 uh, so we can stake out some good territory. We don't want to get pushed off of our uh, corners by what may be an ever-increasing uh, crowd of hirelings down there. So if we can have few people down there at 4.30 to help us secure a beachhead. That would be a blessing. Camp out is tomorrow night, and I, I guess there's a uh, meeting time that's early, and that's going to knock uh, some of our uh, men out uh, from tomorrow afternoon. And so if, uh, if there's any way you can be there and, and then go to the camp out, or if you don't normally go and you can be there to fill in for those that, that won't be, we could sure use your help down there tomorrow afternoon. Amen. All right. Brother David, you had anything? Okay. Yes. We got that. We got that. That's covered. Yeah. Got that covered. Nursing homes covered. All right. Uh, let's see. Brother Dean Runyon, everybody get the update on it. Maybe everybody didn't. He had four hurdles he had to clear before they could do his next major surgery, and he has cleared all four of those hurdles, and so he's very excited about going in and getting his uh, his stomach rebuilt. Sounds thrilling, doesn't it? So uh, pray for Brother Dean. He's, he's hopeful. He wants to go back to Guyana. It's just it's where his heart is. Where he's falling in love with the place and the people. So let's pray for him. Any idea when that surgery will be? Okay. Could be as early as next week. Amen. All right. And... Doug's getting home tomorrow, is that correct? No? Oh, Saturday. All right, Brother Doug flying back from Gay Paris, <laughs> from France. He walks in here Sunday when his little berets on. <laughs> I wonder if they still wear those over there. So They do? They do? Okay, well, we'll see if there's one less over there when he gets back. So, Amen. Be good to have him home. Thank the Lord for getting him that job. We sure didn't want his family moving away to go work somewhere else. And glad God answered that prayer. Amen. All right, let's turn in our Bibles to Hebrews 2 and Joshua 5. Hebrews chapter 2, Joshua chapter 5. I just went underwater, guys. Blum, 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 blum. Speaking from the submarine, Hebrews 2. Joshua 5, that's our first underwater broadcast, <laughs> Hebrews 2, and Joshua 5. On these names of Jesus, we are finishing up tonight with the letter C and starting into the letter D. For those of you that weren't sure what came after C, it's the letter D. And tonight... Uh, four short little looks at three designations and one name. Three designations and one 
name. Are you hearing two of me? I'm hearing two of me. No? Yeah, it's, I got an echo, something like that. I would say some stuff right now, but we're streaming live in the World Wide Web. So I've got to be careful what I say, which for me is about impossible. You, you could tell Sunday night how careful I was being about, about what I say. Maybe that explains <laughs> the, the attendance tonight. So. Amen. All right, there's some woman downtown this afternoon. Wife was witnessing to her for a good long while, and she finally said something, and, and Lillian was done with her, and she said, we'll have to ask him that. And she, she told me something. I, she just, cra- you know, these people are crazy. They'll believe anything but the Bible. She said, well, you know, the, the King James Bible was put out by fundamentalists who didn't believe women have souls. And so I just said, you're, you're a liar. And that's, I don't know how she responded to that. There weren't any fundamentalists until 1900, and she doesn't know the first thing about any of the men that put out the King James Bible, or she wouldn't have said that. And so she said, well, I'm not feeling any love from you. I thought, that's classic. It's just perfect. You lie, I tell you the truth that you're lying, and all you care about is how you feel. And um, so, anyway, I wasn't feeling much love from her at the time, so. All right, we good? Can't tell? Hard to tell? Amen. Somebody send us a text message right quick. Tell us how we sound out there. (laughs) Maybe that's it. They're all home listening on their computers. They can stay in their pajamas and be on their couch and not have to get dressed, come to church. That's what you get for having a church where people actually have to get dressed to come to church. All right. Okay, let's pray. Father, we sure thank you for your love. Thank you for your word. Thank you for a group of people who's come on a short notice, come stand up for you in a public place this afternoon. And thank you for all the good response that we had and people we got to witness to and people that read the truth of the gospel on the signs and heard the truth of the gospel proclaimed. And Father, we thank you now that we can meet together tonight and study your word about your son, the Lord Jesus. And Pray that you'd bless our hearts and guide us, direct us, show us what we need to see. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, Bible says in Hebrews chapter 2, Hebrews chapter 2 and verse number 10, but we see Jesus. Got your eyes on him? Got your eyes on the Lord? What are you looking at tonight? We see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. That's why he came. He came to die crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for the elect. Oh, wait, I I didn't read that right, did I? That he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. Jesus didn't die for a few. He didn't die for a lot. He died for them all. All have sinned, and Christ died for all men. Every man, Jesus tasted death for them. For it became him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons unto glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through 
sufferings. All right, hold on to that place. Let's go to Joshua chapter number 5. Joshua 5 and verse number 13. Well, let's get our context. Verse 12. And the manna ceased on the morrow after they had eaten of the corn, of the old corn of the land. Neither the children of Israel manna any more, but they did eat of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. So the Israelites have crossed Jordan. They're on the, they're on the, on the promised land side of the Jordan River. And they're ready for their first battle at Jericho as they try to, to uh, accomplish the conquest of the land of promise. And it came to pass, when Joshua was by Jericho, that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, there stood a man over against him, with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went unto him and said unto him, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? Joshua saw things the way Christians are supposed to see things. You're on one side or the other. You're not floating somewhere in between. Are you for us or are you for the people who are against us? There's, there's God's side and there's the world's side. There's light, there's darkness, there's right, there's wrong, there's good, there's evil, there's just, there's unjust. That's how God sets it up in the Bible. This, the world, they're constantly trying to, to muddle everything and gray everything and neutralize everything. Not so in the book. And he said, Nay, but as captain of the host of the Lord... Am I now come? And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship and said unto him, What saith my Lord unto his servant? And the captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoe from off thy foot, for the place whereon thou standest is holy. And Joshua did so. Now, Jesus Christ was not manifest in a physical body of human flesh until he was born at Bethlehem. But many times throughout the Old Testament, he appeared in the form of a man and, and had dealings with uh, mankind. In the garden, the voice of the Lord walked in the garden in the cool of the day, slew the animals, made coats of skins, covered the man and his wife, had communication with them. He, uh, he came and, and, and down at the Tower of Babel and saw the building project. It looks like from Genesis 7-1, he stood in the door of the ark and called Noah and his family inside. Many times throughout the Old Testament, Jesus appeared, or I should say, the Son of God appeared, he wasn't Jesus till he was born in that body of Bethlehem's major. The Son of God appeared. So this is one of those cases. How do you know this one of those cases? Because no angel would let a man worship him. No man sent from God would let someone worship him. But here Joshua falls on his face to worship. You remember when this happened with Peter in Acts 10, he said, get up. When it happened, when the angel, when John fell at the feet of the angel, the angel said to John, get up, worship God. But here, Joshua falls at the feet of this captain of the host, and he doesn't say, get up. Joshua stays right there where he belongs, and so this is the Lord here. Now, what do you have? There is a great promised land awaiting the children of Israel. And the children of Israel have been told by God to go up and fight and conquer and win so they can obtain the land of promise. God is going to give it to them, but He's not going to give it to them unless they fight. God is going to deliver their enemies in their hand, but not unless they go and wage war against their enemies. And so Joshua is preparing, and the time is at hand, to lead the troops into battle, to win the victory that God has promised them, and, 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 the, and 
just as soon as they're about to go up against Jericho, the captain of the host appears and says, Joshua, appreciate it. But if you want to win this victory, you're not going to lead the troops in the battle. You follow me and I'll lead the troops into battle. The troops can follow you as you follow me. I'm the captain of the host. And so as the Lord went before them, Joshua led the troops into battle, and God gave them victory after victory after victory after victory, and they secured the promised land, every square foot of it that they trusted God. Uh, when they trusted God to go up and fight, God gave them victory, and they got the land. Now, come back to Hebrews. Come back to Hebrews, and the Bible says, We see Jesus, verse 9, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. So, here is the Son of God made manifest in a body of flesh. That body is, is uh, prepared for dying. But that, that Jesus who died, we see Him crowned with glory and honor that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. So, Jesus Christ, the man, is crowned by God with glory and honor. Correct? Verse number 10, For it became him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons unto glory. Not unto heaven. Un Jesus is not crowned with heaven and glory. Jesus is not crowned with new Jerusalem and glory. Jesus Christ is crowned with glory and honor. Okay? He's, he's not crowned with heaven and honor. He's crowned with glory and honor. So, if he's going to lead us to glory, he's not going to lead us to heaven. He's going to lead us to what he himself is in the eyes of the Father. Though he tasted death for every man, though he is made lower than the angels, he never came short of the glory of God. He was not a sinner at any time. He lived victorious over the world and over the flesh and over the devil. Now, what does he want to do? Having died, having been buried, having risen again, having saved our souls, he wants to bring those that are now sons of God into glory, not into heaven, into glory. He wants to bring us to the place of victory over the world and the flesh and the devil that he himself accomplished when he lived on this earth in a body of flesh. And so the Bible says in verse number 10, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings for both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. So, God promised the children of Israel the land of Canaan. It's full of Canaanites. It's full of giants. It's full of walled cities. It's full of enemy armies. What do they have to do? They have to go up and fight. Ten spies come back and say, we can't take that land. There's giants there. Ten spies come back and say, we don't stand a chance. Great big walled cities. But the captain of the host appeared and said, I'll go before you. And if you'll follow me, you can't lose. Now, Hebrews 10. We have a captain of our salvation. 
I am told that God wants to give me a life of victory over my habits. God wants to give me a life of victory over sin. God wants to give me a life of victory over the world. I look at what I am by nature. I look at the world with all of its temptations and all of its power. And I say, well, there's no way I can win that battle. And the captain of the host steps on the scene and said, if you'll just follow me, I'll give you the victory. If you'll let me go before you, you can't lose. And I'm telling you, if we would follow, if we would confidently and obediently follow Jesus Christ, we would see the walls of Jericho in our life fall down, just like the Israelites saw the walls of Jericho fall down in their day. Now, now suppose you're, you're, you're sitting in your tent and, and Joshua has addressed the troops that afternoon. Here's the battle plan. The captain of the host told me, we're going to get up tomorrow morning and march silently all the way around the city and then go back to our tents. That's it, Joshua? Yeah, that's it. Okay, and then the next day, no, we're going to do that for six days in a row. We're going to march around the city. And then on the seventh day, we're going to march seven times around the city. And when we finish that seventh circuit of the city, we're going to blow our trumpets and shout. And the walls are going to fall down, just bam, and God's going to give us the victory. Now, you know what? That doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense militarily. It doesn't make sense uh, numerically. Just by, by no measure of human reckoning or understanding is that the way to conquer a city. But by faith in God, they obeyed the instructions of God. And when they did what God told them to do, the walls of the city fell down, they raced up through the rubble, and God delivered the city into their hands. Oh, they've got their swords, they're ready to fight, but the victory's won before the battle begins. Now, we read our New Testament, or we go to church and have the New Testament read to us or preached to us, and there are many things in this New Testament that because of our education, because of our societal upbringing, because of our cultural norms, because of our family background, they just don't seem to make sense. Are you going to trust the Lord? Are you going to follow the captain of the host? If you will walk in obedience to his word, you will see the walls of sin in your life fall down. You'll see the walls of habit in your life fall down. You'll see the walls of, of defeat fall down. And God will give you victory if we'll follow the captain of the host. What does he want to do? He wants to fight before the warriors so the warriors just have mop-up operations. That's it. And so I'm glad we've got a captain of our salvation. He's not a captain. The captain is not in reference to saving us. We're already sons. He, it's his bringing of many sons to glory. 
Are you, uh, to, to as many received him, to them gave you power to become the sons of God, even to them believe on his name. Have you believed on his name? Then you're a son of God. He wants to bring you as a son of God into his glory. And he'll do that if you'll follow him. Just trust him, get behind him, do what he says. The natural man receiveth not things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Uh, th- this whole business of a, of a man laying down his life for his neighbor and, and considering others better than himself, is foolishness to a natural man. This idea of the wife's role and the children's role and, and, the, the, and, and all those things, just foolishness. Please God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. The world, its influence carries over into our life after we get saved. And we view the commandments of God and the instructions of God and the ways of God as being somehow, it just couldn't work that way. You want to march around the city? If you will, the walls will fall down. If you don't, it's going to be tough. Why, as soon as you're through conquering great big Jericho, they tried to go up against Ai without following the captain of the host and fled in defeat. And as soon as they got in behind the captain of the host, AI fell without any problem. So it's the same in our life. I don't know what your habit is. I don't know what your weakness is. I don't know what overcomes you. I don't know what gets you down. But if you get in behind Jesus and follow him, he'd give you the victory. Amen. All right, Isaiah 43. Isaiah chapter 43. That's the captain of our salvation. Another designation... For Jesus, not, not strictly a name, but the Bible says in Isaiah 43, verse 8, Bring forth the blind people that have eyes and the deaf that have ears. What a great description of unbelievers in the world. The blind that have eyes and the deaf that have ears. They can see, but they can't see truth. They can hear, but they can't hear truth. Let all the nations be gathered together, and let the people be assembled. Who among them can declare this and show us former things? Let them bring forth their witnesses that they may be justified, or let them hear and say it is truth. That passage has to do with all those Darwinians you deal with. You dealt with them last Friday afternoon. You'll probably be dealing with them tomorrow afternoon. And as long as those college kids and that drinking crowd keeps coming out there, you're going to have to deal with Darwinian evolutionists. Now look at the verse. Let all the nations be gathered together and let the people be assembled. The people, that's the Jews. So you got God's people, you got the rest of the nation. Get everybody together and ask them, can you show us former things? Bring forth your witnesses. I don't want your theory. I don't want your science book. I want your eyewitness testimony. I want you to bring forth someone who saw an ape turn into a taxi cab driver. Come on. I want you to bring forth your witnesses and show me a dolphin sprouting legs and walking. 
Well, you know, we got these, these fossil records. I didn't ask you for, for dead bones. I want you to bring forth witnesses. Who saw it? Moses did. God did. Wrote it down. I got eyewitness testimony. You don't. You can refute and make fun of the eyewitness testimony, but you don't have any eyewitness testimony with which to counter our eyewitness testimony. So the Bible says, let them bring forth their witnesses, they may be justified. Or if you don't have any witnesses, or let them hear and say it is truth. You know why you're saved? Because after your elementary school teacher told you you were the byproduct of a monkey, and after your junior high and high school teacher told you you were a byproduct of a monkey, and after your college professor told you you were the byproduct of a monkey, one day you said, you know what? Nobody's ever proven that to me. Nobody's ever presented any sufficient evidence. I think instead of all that theory, I will hear the Word of God. And when you heard the Word of God, you said, it is truth. That's how people get saved. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. And when you hear the Word of God, you, listen, it'll, it'll have a ring to it. It'll have a ring to it. It'll have a ring of truth. Your professor's up there mumbling uh, half-heartedly through another lecture on stuff they don't really believe and don't care about. It, it, the Bible have a ring to it. And so the Bible says in verse number 11... Or a ten, I'm sorry, ten. Ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that ye may know and believe me, and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. Now who's going to witness to that? God chose some people in the book of Genesis, and they struck out. God chose a nation of people, and they failed to do the job. And so last of all, God sent one into the world who he called my faithful witness. And that chosen witness declared at the cost of his own life on a cross, there's no Savior but the one true God. Jesus Christ is God's chosen one. He is chosen of God to bear witness to God's truth when nobody else can and nobody else will. It's this woman this afternoon, uh, my wife tried to witness to her, and she said, well, I, I just, I think that what you're doing uh, it could offend some people. Everything anybody does could offend somebody Come on, there's 350 million people in the United States of America, and most of them are babies. Something's going to offend them every single day. You know what? If people who aren't offended by cussing, and aren't offended by nakedness, and aren't offended by blasphemy, and aren't offended by crime and violence, if they are offended by the gospel, too bad. How's that? Amen. And she said, well, I just, you know, this, this could be offensive to some people. And it's, it's so frustrating. Because she doesn't mind offending my wife. 
She doesn't mind offending me. She doesn't mind offending all of you who are standing up for Jesus, but she doesn't want to be offending her. Now, the question to ask somebody like that is, is quite simple. Well, here's what they say. You aren't doing Christianity right because the way you're doing it offends somebody. Would you explain to me how Jesus managed to get crucified without offending anybody? Who nailed him to a cross if everybody was happy with him? Who plotted to kill him if he wasn't rubbing anybody the wrong way? Who's driving nails into his hands if all he's doing is sprinkling sunshine and fairy dust in their paths? Truth is offensive to liars. Light is offensive to those that dwell in the darkness. Righteousness is offensive to dirty people. Who would be offended by a sign that said, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, but a sinner? That wouldn't offend anybody else. Well, I just think, don't you think there's some people that could be bothered by that? There's people bothered by red lights. There's, look, there's downtown, they got these planters in the sidewalk. They get little flowers in them, and they got sprinklers running into them, right? And they, they, they water the flowers, and then they send you a letter and say, if you water your yard more than twice a week, we're going to find you because we've got to conserve water. We'll tear up the stupid planters you wasted taxpayers' money on all up and down the sidewalks. Then you've got to have a sign, warning, don't stand on the planter. Warning, don't pull up the plants. Warning, don't sit here. Warning, if you crash your bike and hit this with your head, it could break your head. Well, then get rid of them. They're offensive. I'm offended. I'm offended by sidewalks. I'm offended by streets. I'm offended by tall buildings. Get rid of all of them. Well, you're unreasonable. How come the only people who are offended that aren't unreasonable are people who are offended by Christianity? If we're offended by something, we're told to, to learn to deal with it. Well, if you're offended by Christianity, learn to deal with it. Amen. Not like Christians. Well, just thank them for not blowing you up. They're not strip searching in airports because of Christians. <laughs> Muslims brought you that. I tell them every time I go through it, people complain. And, oh, I can't believe we've got to go through all this. I just turn and smile and say, thank a Muslim. Next time you see a Muslim, thank them. What? I said, this is brought to you by Islam. And then, then they look at me like I'm, I'm crazy. I'm not crazy. That's why you're doing that. Because Muslims will blow you up. <laughs> I don't think you should. Yeah, I know. Man, if all I ever did was what everybody thought I should do, just wouldn't do anything. Somebody, no matter what you do, somebody's offended by it. Haggai chapter 2. I'm offended by football teams. How's that? Why is my tax money being spent so boys can play football? Why is my tax money being sent to bus cheerleaders in their miniskirts so they can jump up and down in front of perverts and bleachers? I'm offended. Shut it down. Then I'm going to shut it down. But if one person's offended by a kid bringing a Bible to school, well, I don't think you should. It's crazy, isn't it? This world's nuts. I'm on a high school swimming team. Really? I got to pay for that? Why am I having to pay for that? 
Go to Lake Diaz and we'll swim. Well, we need competition. We'll take a friend out there and race them. That's what we did when we were kids. Have to have a swim team. Well, we have to have some, you know, the, the, the poor, poor people, you know, that how are they going to be on a swim team if taxpayers don't pay for it? They're not. Too bad. Well, how are they going to make the Olympics? There are no poor people in the Olympics. All corporate sponsored millionaire fornicators. I'm tired of this world. <laughs> Trying to find somebody to join me. This, this world's sick, man. I get, I just, I get worn out with people who's li- look their life. Their, their marriage are, is are busted up. Their kids are all strung out on dope. They're all strung out on dope. They're mad at everybody, and I'm standing there telling them how, with a smile on my face, how they can have joy in their life through Jesus Christ. You get that stuff out of my face. Why am I slowing you down, keeping you going, getting another tattoo branded in your chest? It's just amazing to me. Why is a nicely dressed individual holding a piece of plastic with three words on it so threatening to you? What's your problem? What offends me? Tough! Walk five more steps and you won't see it. This world cussing offends me. How about that? Taking Jesus' name in vain offends me. Haggai chapter 2. That all leads into this. Haggai 2. There's a lot of nervous laughter out there. Like, you know, I'm not sure if I've crossed the line. Has he, has he hit the tipping point? Is he losing it? I'm not losing it. Just, just tired of Christians trying to cozy up to this world and kiss up to the world and whining about them. How come my church can't be more loving? And Loving toward what? Adulterers, adulteresses, drunkards, dopeheads, thieves, liars, Bible rejectors. Who you want me to get cozy with? I'm getting cozy with my brothers and sisters in Christ. Why don't you get cozy with that crowd? Right. Man, listen, if every, if every preacher on the radio got on there and just, just preached his heart out at nightclubs and bars and dance clubs, it'd cheer my soul. How come, how come your pastor mentions it and you get all uptight and unhappy? Who's your crowd? Who are you defending? Come on, go ahead. Who's, who's, who's your preacher coming after that, that's not going to like it? Hmm. Haggai chapter 2. I'm going to keep going until some of y'all get with it here. Haggai 2. All right. Verse number 6. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, yet once it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. Change is coming. Great change is coming. Hope and change is coming. Change we can believe in. Praise the Lord. And I will shake all nations 
and the desire of all nations shall come, and I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord. Now again, it's not a proper name of Jesus, no capital letter on it, but you tell me, who is the desire of all nations? It's Jesus Christ. You know what they want? They want peace. He's the Prince of Peace. You know what they want? They, they want safety. He's the one who can, can bring that about. You know what they want? They want prosperity. It comes from the hand of God. I'm telling you what, what the nations of this world and the people of this world, in their heart of hearts, what they long for is Jesus Christ. You know what the problem is? They can't have what they long for without righteousness. And they want peace and love and prosperity and they want all those things, but they don't want the righteousness of God. They want sin. They want to serve Satan and they want God's rewards. You serve Satan, you get Satan's rewards. You serve God, you get God's rewards. And that's, that's how it is. In, uh, in, so in Haggai 2.7, he's the desire of all nations. Okay, let's go to Job 9. Job chapter 9. Got all that out. Oh, it's nice, nice preaching week after week after week on these names of Jesus. I got to get some of this some of this out every once in a while. Since half the church couldn't be here tonight because they quit taking their meds and now they're <laughs> struggling. I'm, 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 I'm just... Just joking, I think. <laughs> Just joking. Job, Job chapter 9. They say, I, I read this thing, said, <laughs> when, they, when they do water testing now, they go out and test these rivers and stuff where they, you know, the, supposedly the water from your house goes in these pipes and it goes to these treatment centers and then they treat the water and then they put it back in the rivers so it can go back and get recycled and all. They say when they test that water down in the rivers, even after it's been through the treatment plant, it's all full of psychotropic drugs. Isn't that something? So now as that floats down, filters down through the aquifer, what's going to happen is you're going to start getting all kind of grub worms and earthworms and everything. They're going to start tripping out on all this stuff, and they're, they're going to come after you. It's going to be the, the, attack, the attack of the grub worms. <laughs> Zombie bugs. <laughs> I, I had this dream one night. <laughs> we'll, we'll, get, we'll get on this in a minute. My wife, she I shouldn't tell you this because it's, I think it's, I don't know what, I don't, anyway, she got these dogs and she, she, every now and then the dogs would get out and they'll run through the woods and when they come back and run through the woods, they'll have ticks on them. And sometimes you don't know they got ticks on them until the ticks are big enough to see and you know they got ticks on them. So I caught her one day. She had brought the dog in the house, and she's pulling ticks off the dog, and she's tossing them in the commode and sending the ticks to a watery grave. We're on a septic system. We don't live in the city. We live out in the woods. We're on a septic system. So that night I went to sleep, and I'm sound asleep, and all of a sudden our backyard is shaking, and it's shaking, and it's shaking, and the backyard explodes and this giant tick comes up out of the backyard, and it's and it's got these big teeth, and it says, "Who flushed me down the toilet?" And I'm in my in my dream. I'm laying in the bed, and I said, "Not me! It wasn't me! It was her!" And, and that, that tick's trying to get in our in our bedroom. 
That's without medication. (laughs) All right. So, now we're ready to start. Here's our lesson for tonight. We actually got to a name of of Jesus. We're going to have to rethink this live streaming thing. There's a couple of guys at NSA that are sending memos out right now. Job 9, great passage, great passage, Job 9. Verse 28, I am afraid of all my sorrows. I know that thou wilt not hold me innocent. Do you ever get under conviction? If you ever got saved, you got under conviction before you got saved. And one day you came to the realize, realization God would not hold you innocent. If I be wicked, why then labor I in vain? <laughs> okay, I've sinned and I tried to quit sinning and I couldn't and I tried to reform and I couldn't. And didn't you come to the place where you just realized there's nothing I can do about this? It's in me. It's flowing in my veins. There's nothing I can do about it. I'm just wicked. God's not going to hold me innocent. If I wash myself with snow water and make my hands never so clean, yet shalt thou plunge me in the ditch, and mine own clothes shall abhor me. (laughs) How am I going to get clean before God? I go to church and I, I, I do all the things they tell me to do, and by the end of the week I'm right back where I was. For he is not a man, as I am, that I should answer him, and we should come together in judgment. Neither is there any daysman betwixt us that might lay his hand upon us both. Let him take his rod away from me, and let not his fear terrify me. Then would I speak, and not fear him, but it is not so with me. He said, I can't come to God. I'm not innocent. I'm wicked. I'm dirty. When I try to get clean, then I compare myself to him and I find out I'm still dirty. And I'm afraid of him. He's going to break me with his rod. If there was just somebody that could bring me to God. But there's not. There's not. That's sad. That's Job sitting out there on the ash heap. Now don't lose that place. Come to 1 Samuel chapter 2. 1 Samuel chapter 2. Verse 25. 1 Samuel 2.25 If one man sin against another, the judge shall judge him. But if a man sin against the Lord, who shall entreat for him? Notwithstanding, they hearken not to the voice of their father, because the Lord would slay them. Look, you've got, you got a man against a man. The judge comes in between and he settles the thing. See what he said? But if a man, if God and, and the man, if, if they're against each other, who can come between and solve that problem? 
Job said there's nobody. Samuel, uh, Eli here says there's nobody. There's nobody to come between. Now you look, when, when God made covenant with Adam, God and Adam are still at odds. There's no go-between. No daysman. When God made covenant with Noah, he stepped before he got on the ark, when he got off the ark, there's, nobody, there's still nobody go-between God and Noah and the sons of Noah. When God chose Abraham, it's God and Abraham. There, there's, there, there, and I, there's nobody to go. There's no mediator under any one of those dispensations. There's no mediator under the law. The law, it's still just God and man. One day, one day, 1 Timothy chapter number 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. Verse number 3. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and come unto the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. What do we have now that Job did not have? A mediator. Someone to go between God and man. What do we have now that was non-existent in Samuel's day? Someone who can be the judge, the arbiter between God and man. Job calls him a daysman. It's interesting. A daysman is a, well, our term is a day laborer. It's not somebody you're hiring to be a permanent part of your company. You have a specific job to be done on a specific day, and you, you pull into Home Depot or you, you go down to the job agency and you say, Hey, anybody want to work six hours today? I got, I got six hours worth of work. And the hands go up. And you, you pick a guy and say, okay, come on. And you hire that man to do a, a job for you on a specific day. God the Father. God the Father. He called out to the host of heaven. I got a job needs to be done. He called out to the sons of man on the earth. I've got a job needs to be done. Oh, you're God. Well, sure, what do you want? Well... On the fourteenth day of the first month of the Jewish year, thirty, well, well, uh, not not. Let's let's don't say it, let's say it this way. Sixty-nine weeks of years to the day after Cyrus' decree. I need someone who is God and man to die on a cross outside Jerusalem to pay for the sins of the whole world. Is there anybody here I can get to do that for me? And all the angels had to put their hands back down because they were neither God nor man. And all mankind had to put their hands back down because they weren't God and though they were man, they're sinful men, so they couldn't die for anybody's sins. And 
The father felt a tap on his shoulder and he turned and there was his son. He said, Father, you can't get anybody for that job but me. The father asked the son, will you, will you go down there and do that job? And Jesus, Jesus said, I'll be the daysman. I will go to Jerusalem on that day. I will bear that cross into Mount Calvary. I will be nailed to that cross and I will shed my precious sinless blood for the sins of the whole world. And Father, all I ask is that having done that, you raise me from the dead. And they agreed. And in the fullness of the time, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made in the likeness of sinful flesh, but without sin. And for 33 and one half years, he steadily but surely walked toward the day when he would die on a hill outside Jerusalem and bear the sins of the world. And as he hung upon that cross, he reached out one hand to God the Father, and he reached out one hand to the human race, and Job had his daysman who could lay his hand upon both and bring God and man together. Praise the Lord. Now look what the Bible says in 1 Timothy 2. Watch it again. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will, this is the will of God, have all men to be saved. If anybody dies without being saved, they die outside the will of God. It is God's will that all men be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth for there is one God. So, th this, is, this is a fascinating thing. When people say, as this woman said this afternoon, I just believe there are many gods and, and all the different gods, whatever God works for you, uh, that's the God you need to believe in and follow that God. Yes, but there's only one God whoever made any attempt to reconcile sinful man to himself. Allah sent his son to die for nobody. The gods of the Hindus, the gods of the animus, the gods of the spirit, all, none, none of those gods sent their son to die for you. God sent his son to die for all men. There's one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all, for all, to be testified in due time. Now, let's go back to Job. Job chapter 9. We're going to read this as New Testament Christians. I am afraid of all my sorrows. I know that thou wilt not hold me innocent. If I be wicked, why then labor I in vain? If I wash myself with snow water and make my hands never so clean, yet shalt thou plunge me in the ditch, and mine own clothes shall abhor me. But your son became a man. As I am, yet without sin. 
And he now answers for me. And he has brought us together in judgment. He is the daysman betwixt us who has laid his hand upon us both. And because of the ransom that he paid, you have taken away your rod from me and your fear no longer terrifies me. I can now speak to God without fear. I have a mediator. The daysman did the job. Praise the Lord. The Old Testament and the New Testament, they both point to Jesus Christ, but they're very, very different books. In one, man could believe in God and put faith in God, but he had no access to God. In the other, we have immediate and eternal access through Jesus Christ. He's our daysman. Mediator is the New Testament term. But mediator is an ongoing thing. Daysman underscores our New Testament belief that Jesus doesn't die again and again and again and again. And I'm not with God one day and separated from God the next and back with God one day and separated from God the next. The daysman cried on the cross, it is finished. The work of salvation was done in one day. He was hired to do a job. He got it done. The job's finished. So now we can be reconciled to God without an additional sacrifice, without an additional offering. We just put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So mediator, that's a different, uh, you know, has a different nuance to it. Daysman, that's bringing God and man together through a work accomplished at a specific point in time. And that was at Calvary. Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. All right, Father, we pray you'd bless your word to our hearts. Help us, Lord, to rejoice in the captain of our salvation, to rejoice that you've chosen one to proclaim truth in this world, that the desire of all nations has already satisfied our hearts, and Lord, thank you that a daysman accomplished the work that was necessary to bring us together, to put our sins away by the offering of himself upon the cross. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.